The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is sponsored by OneFootball. OneFootball is the app you all need to get the latest info on Newcastle United and the Premier League. Make sure you go and download OneFootball today. Newcastle Fans TV. Hello and welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV alongside myself and Sam Mulner. This week on the podcast, Sam... Was an entertainer. In more ways than one. Um, with his work on ESPN, it's very entertaining. Shaka Hislop, what an absolute king Shaka Hislop is. Quality goalkeeper, has the smoothest voice known to man. And uh, yeah, great pundit on. Uh, I mean, we do get ESPN FC in this country on BT, don't we? But. Um, Views around the world, if uh, if you're listening in America, yeah, you'll have him on ESPN. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was great to get him on. I've been wanting this one for ages. And obviously, he's the honorary president of um, Show Races and the Red Card, which can, it has, is, and will continue to do such fantastic work around the footballing community, uh, not just in the UK. So, yeah, it was, it was brilliant to, to get him on. I feel like Shaka Hislop is the first person we've ever interviewed that has the freedom of the city of Newcastle, son. Yeah, recent award that. Um, and yeah, we discussed that at the end and what he can and can't do with such a prestigious <laughs> title, award. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great when these icons are recognised and given the recognition they deserve, um, not just through their football, but again, for their work outside uh off the pitch you know and around the 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 broader community 100 percent, and like you say sam i can only echo what you said rightly deserved for a man who has done some fantastic work in particular show races in the red car which Shaka talks about in great depth as well but in terms of his newcastle career uh a man who came from reading winning player of the year twice uh, for the last two seasons while i was at reading he came into Newcastle fighting for the number one jersey with the late great Pavel Cernicek, Sam, and it was a good battle, actually, a really good battle. Yeah, we've not really um, had a battle. Like, I mean, you could say given and Harper, but given like 99% of the time, it was always given ahead of Harper. I mean, if Steve Harper would have moved clubs, he, he probably would have been capped for England at some point. Um, oh, it's, as we record this, it's actually Steve Harper's birthday. So, happy birthday, Steve Harper. Happy birthday, Steve. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, really good battle. Probably 51 49. It could swing both ways, really. It was a really good battle for the for the shirt. Um, just such an iconic time. Everything, every, everything about that time was iconic, down to, down to the shirts they wore, um, the characters around the club. It's just yeah, and and you never know. Similar times like that may not be so far away. We hope so. We hope so because th- that could be the future that we can look back to and go, well, we had this in the nineties. Can we do even better than that? In which the the, the squad that Shaka was involved with. But just before we start uh, this podcast, as a a brief update of Eddie Howe's Newcastle United, because I always like to get Sam's view in regards to the up-to-date sort of Newcastle United as we look at it before we 
get our guest on. Well, we don't know, do we? Because we've now not got a game for two weeks. After this comes out, we we didn't have a game last weekend because of um, the FA Cup, because Stoke couldn't beat Crystal Palace. So (laughs) my weekend that was booked up to come to yours, and for the weekend we are going to go on the Raz. That was cancelled. Well, not cancelled, postponed. Um, Just go for a later date. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think uh, I, I, I saw after Saturday after last before, um, sorry, after Brentford just beat Burnley. And then uh, Jeff said on our soccer Saturday says, well, that's probably seen that that's seen them safe for another season now in the Premier League. And we're still above them. So, Are we safe? I think after that win at Southampton, I think that put us out of the conversation. To be honest, fascinating, fascinating. We're recording this before we play Everton, uh, which you would have always. Oh, don't let, I'll let that on. I was, I was trying to make it like real time and not mentioning the Everton result. Which my prediction is, I think we're going to lose against Everton, but I think we'll draw. And you, the viewer watching this or the listener listening to this, think will win so you know it's one apiece but yeah i think we're safe i think we are i think i think um that run of form against teams that if you're going to stay in the league you should be get taking points from with the odd surprise like i was surprised at the southampton win but that's kind even of even, Bright- even brighton Sam. Even Brighton, because of the fact that we have a horrific record against them. Yeah, that's right. And then that kind of evens itself out because you you really wanted to beat the likes of Brentford and Norwich at home, um, and Watford at home as well. Those were that's kind of six points dropped when it only drawing them three games. So, well, as you say, beating Brighton, Southampton, um, Villa, Villa's been tricky the last couple of years, so. And we were, you know, we were more than good enough for a point at um, Chelsea. So, I, th- I think we, I think we are safe. I mean, what are we on thirty-one points. Thirty-one points as of uh, Monday, the fourteenth of March. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I mean, 30, 35 probably sees you safe nowadays, doesn't it? So, I mean, look, two more wins. Exactly. Exactly. I think. I think. Hopefully, we can start looking towards next season. Maybe after one more win, but. I think one more win would basically mean we just need a couple more points here or there. But I think we're, we're nearly there. We're nearly, nearly there. That Newcastle can start looking towards next season. By God, what next season could bring. Who knows? But let's talk about the past and not about the present in the future because we've got Shaka Hislop on the show. So I think we should get that one up and running. So this is the Green Red Moment Show. This is episode number 85, you lucky people. It is with Shaka Hislop. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, myself and Sam are joined by a man who joined Newcastle in one of the, probably the golden period of Newcastle United in recent years in the mid-90s under Kevin Keegan. And a man who has the freedom of the city of Newcastle. We'll have to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on as well. It is, of course, Shaka Hislop. Shaka, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Johnny. Good to see you and Sam. Shaka, can you tell us all about the time where you get the phone call and Kevin Keegan wants to bring you to Newcastle from Reading? 
it must be one of those moments that you have to pinch yourself a little bit, isn't it? It, it was, and and uh, it's one of those one of those moments. I, I think that you kind of see in the movies or you hear people talk about. I, I honestly thought it was some kind of a joke um, that that some friend was playing a prank on me, and I thought, let me just let me just play along here. Uh, and and I, as as it turned out, of course, it really was Kevin Keegan and. Then all of a sudden, my kind of whole mood changed because now I'm just joking, playing along, thinking, yeah, here we go, here we go. And then uh, to, to recognize uh, exactly who it was and, and, and what you were seeing about what was happening on Newcastle and, and he wanted me to, to come join. It was a surreal experience. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm just like every other young boy growing up, I, I, dreaming about playing football at, at, at the highest stage. And even though, you know, I, I can one of those boxes were, were ticked just by, by joining Reading. Um, to, to have Kevin Keegan reach out and, and have Premier League football um, offered. Um, the, the, the kid in me just didn't know how, how to respond or, or how to react or, or, or what to think of it. Well, growing up, Shaka, um, were you always set to be in the sticks or like me when I was playing youth football, I got stuck in, in goal, but really I wanted to be a striker. <laughs> How was it for you? Yeah, I'm the same sound. I, I keep telling people my, my better position was a striker, in, in no honesty. <laughs> and and I, missed, I missed the calling. Um, so, so growing up, I, I always played out in the park and uh, trying to be able to put together a, a national under 12 team. I, I was only 10 years old at the time. My dad took me, took me for trials. And I, I went as, as I went from a zonal team as a striker. And as I'm walking to register, the coach, a guy by the name of, of, of Basil Smith, his nickname, nickname is Barney, still goes by Barney, took one look at me and said, you're the tallest, you're in goal. And that's the first time I ever played in goal, made the, the zonal team, eventually made the national team. Um, and, and that is my kind of um, goalkeeping, goalkeeping story. And just uh, as... I never quite, I never quite um, got over not playing out in the park. So when, when I was coming through my, my high school teams um, at 13, I was the goalkeeper for the under 16 team, but I played centre half for the under 14s. And then at 15, I was the goalkeeper for the under 19s, but played centre half for the under 16s. That's just kind of how I, um, how I, I coped with, with, that, with, with that separation from, from my, my true calling. <laughs> so basically what you're trying to tell us, Jack, is that you're actually meant to be the next Alan Shearer, but you end up being a fantastic goalkeeper instead. That that's that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the thing is, I think you got the sweeter deal because Shearer and, and Celez, they wouldn't have been able to wear beauties like this. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not sure anybody can wear beauties like that. No, 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 no. Um, let me tell you something. It, it was uh, that that, that photo keeps coming up, and uh, I, at the very least, a fashion statement. What that statement is, I, I, I'm not sure, but it was uh, it was an iconic time for goalkeeping jerseys, and, and this one with the Newcastle skyline was, yeah. I, I think, was was the best of the lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really love that. I really, I really <laughs> love those kits. I have to be honest. I, I, to, to be honest, I think they're the sort of kits now. If you imagine if you've seen them now, you'd be like. Wow, this is a statement. It's like you say, yeah, yeah, it's a statement. It's a statement 25 <laughs> years later, still. It's, it's still a statement. Don't worry. Who was your, your goalkeeping inspiration, Shaka? Who was that one goalkeeper that you looked up to when you really realized that actually 
I can do is at a very good standard. Who did you model your game at? I often speak about Ray Clements and, and Joe Corrigan. Growing up in Toronto, big as I did, we had limited limited access to to, to TV and, and football. I, I always put this in perspective, especially for for those who, who are growing up watching football now. You know, you didn't have access to, to all the games that you do. We you were you you were um, at the mercy of whatever the producer decided to put on. You couldn't choose to, to watch Newcastle or whoever your team may be, Derby or whatever it is. Whatever the producer decided to put on, that's what everybody in the world had to watch. And you had to watch it at the time they put it on. You couldn't go back and, and, and look, look it over and, and you know, revisit at, at the time. But, and, and of course, Liverpool were dominating football then, so, so they were dominating the, the airwaves. Um, so I, I grew up with them. It, it wasn't until seeing seeing Alex Williams play for, for Man City that I recognised that black, there were black goalkeepers, um, and, and that was was an option available to me. You know, and I, I, I see that right now that representation matters, and oftentimes when when you're you're kind of in the midst of it, when you're you're all you're trying to do is, is play football, all you're trying to do is, is live your own boyhood dreams, as Alex Williams was. Uh, you, you are not aware of the impact that you're having. There is no way Alex Williams pulling on a Man City shirt is thinking that he is having a huge impact on some other little black kid in some faraway corner of the world in, in a small island in, in Tran Tobago. That's the power of, of, of representation. So it, 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 I kind of, um, as much as, as, as I was at the mercy of what was on the TV, I, I found I, I found heroes as, as best I could where I could. Uh, speaking of heroes, when you when you walk into Newcastle, Kevin Keegan's your manager. Can you remember mm. the first day walking into training and uh, how was that experience? Um, it, it was a little off-putting. I, I'll be honest. As much as you get to know the the, the names in the dressing room and, and hear about them and um, and and look up to to, to so many of them. To be sat in the same room and have them be be greet have them greet you as as, as an equal, um, again, it's something that a, a young kid I, I can't be prepared for. Then, and and what was special about Newcastle, particularly at that time, what was special about Kevin Keegan at that time, given the fact that the wait list for for tickets at St James's Park was as long as it was, I, I think the capacity was somewhere around thirty seven and a half thousand at the time. You would get anywhere between five and ten thousand people showing up for training. 5,000 on a good day, on a weekday when school when school was in. When school was out, you'd get 10,000 coming out to watch training every single day. And to, to, to have to go through your paces and have that kind of a crowd that close to you, because they were right on top of you. They were right on top of you on the training ground. Um, I, I, again, was, was something that, that took some, some getting used to. It must be very strange, actually, because you don't really hear that. I think even back in the 90s, you didn't really hear that a lot, but it just shows the passion for Newcastle United with the core support and obviously in the local area in particular. But the goalkeeping position is very, very peculiar because there's only one person that can go and goal. Yeah. And obviously it was between yourself and the late Pavel Cernicek at the very, yeah. very beginning. Uh, what was your relationship like with Pavel? And do you think that there was respect between the pair of you fighting for that number one position? Yeah, it was. Listen, and, and first of all, may, may he rest in peace. Um, a, a, a sad loss way, way too early. Um, 
But at, at the time um, when, when I came into Newcastle, Kevin Keegan said to me, you've got two games to, to, to prove yourself, to, to make this position your own. Pavel had been sent off just either the last game of, of the previous season or, or, or just before the, the end of the previous season. And, and he had two more games suspension to serve in, in, in the new season. So um, Keegan said, you've got these two games. These two are yours. And of course, we, we started really strongly. I, I can't remember the, the first two games of the season. I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm, we, we, we won them both. Um, and, and, you know, as, as the, the saying goes, you, you don't change a winning team. And, and uh, I was able to stay in. And, and we started that season really strongly up until a tour thigh muscle um, playing at, at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I think it would have been late October about. So, uh, and the team were, at, at that point, already sitting on top of the league. Um, we were playing wonderful football. We were still in all the league competitions because I think even back then the, the league cup started started early early in the year, um, and and I just kept I, I just kept hold of the shirt. Um, but I also recognised what an, an iconic figure Pavel was to the Jordies, given coming through um, in in uh, what what was then the first division, what what is now the championship into promotion, how much how much he meant to them. I, I, I also got to see how good a goalkeeper he was for this stand um, by, by being on the training ground with him. So I knew I had to be, I had to be at my best, but I was fortunate to be on a team that, that sitting at the time couldn't stop winning. Yeah. Then were the days, although, you know, mm. you might be coming back soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what, what kind of influence did, um, Kevin Keegan and Terry Mack have on you then? Because obviously it's different when you're injured, but when you're coming back from injury, there's only one spot and, you know, you want to play. So were yeah. you on the receiving end on some inspirational talks just to kind of bide your time? How how did he, how did Kev manage that situation? Well, it was it was a case of whoever had possession. You know, he, he felt, and I'm, I'm sure he said at the time, that he doesn't have an out-and-out out number one um, possession is nine tenths of the law, and as long as you play well enough, as long as the team keeps playing well enough, you, you'll stay in. And and while I understood that, I, I and, and accepted it, I, I I feel too that it didn't really do me or Pav all that good, because when when that's the case, if I'm playing and Pav's fit and 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 vice versa, as as as, as it was once, I, I did get re, re, returned to full fitness. You're always concerned about that next mistake. You're always concerned about if I if something goes wrong, if I make an error and it results in a goal and results in us uh, losing or, or dropping points, will I find myself out of, out of the team? And that's never a good position to be in as a goalkeeper. You want to play a natural game. You want to play. You, you want to play and deal with situations as as you see, as opposed to. Um, um, I'm trying not to make an error. I'm trying not to be at fault. And, and um, I, I think ultimately that took a little bit of a toll on, on both of us. I, I don't think I was as good as, as, as I could have been. I don't think Pav was as good as, as he certainly was for, for the, the majority of his, his Newcastle time as, as a result. It's, I think that's fascinating though, because you, you see it nowadays, every Premier League club has an established number one and the, yeah. the number two, you, they know that the number two up to a certain point, you might, they might get the odd game of, like I guess they have a keepers out of form, but 
to, 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 that, to that point, Johnny. Go on, Shaka, yeah, go on. Just speaking about, about those examples, I think the, the best example in today's football is PSG. And, and as, as we record right now, we were a few days removed from Real Madrid knocking PSG out, out, of, the, out of the Champions League, the first goal coming because of a Donnarumma error. Um, but PSG have Kayla Navas and, and Gigi Donnarumma, two of the best, in my mind, playing at their peaks, two of the top five goalkeepers in world football. And you see the error that, uh, from Donnarumma um, that, that gifted Real Madrid the, the opening goal and, and ultimately sparked, sparked the comeback. I, I don't think he makes that error if he's confident that he is Argentina's number one, that, that Keylor Navas is not on the bench. Um, and, and, and that, for me, speaks to exactly what uh, I was mentioning. I, I'm not sure that, that there's, there's, there's a, a parallel um, in the Premier League other than maybe Ramsdale and, and, and Bernd Leno, just kind of give Leno's own, own accomplishments, but Ramsdale has been so good that uh, I don't think that, that there, there, there's a debate. So um, there, there's not a, another Premier League parallel to, to draw to it. I, I don't know. I think, I think Edison's feeling the pressure now. Scott Carson uh, replaced him <laughs> in, the, in the Champions League last week. <laughs> it is very, it is very rare, Shaq, and you put a fantastic point. Imagine having Donnarumma and Navas and we scored. It's absolutely mm. unbelievable. Um, but going back to that 95-96 season in particular, Newcastle, of course, are flying and we're at 1.12 points clear. I don't want to tell the rest of the story. I just like it at that point. <laughs> but mm. for the people that want to hear maybe a little bit more, why do you think Newcastle just couldn't get over that line? Was it a case of Manchester United were just a little bit too good? Or the fact Newcastle weren't experienced enough to be in a title race of that magnitude? I, I think it's, it's the latter. And um, as, as much as I think it was 12, as much as 14 at one point, I think Manchester United always had games in hand and it's something i say to this day it's it's easier to chase than it is to lead um and and newcastle had never been in a position of leading a, a, a title race certainly at, at that level um and that experience told you also have to in, in footballing terms hit the post before before you find the back of the net and and we can look at at city and, and how close they came before eventually winning their first winning their first league title. And um, we can look at, at, at uh, Liverpool and um, having, having led for as long as they did and then everything about the Steven Gerrard slip. I, I think that spoke to, uh, and, and this is a, a Liverpool team who dominated in, in the 80s and, and as, as we've been discussing, but it had gone some 30, 30 years without a league title. You have to come close. Even if we, uh, similarly, we're talking about a Manchester City team that just lost the Champions League final uh, to Chelsea, who, who they had, who, who I don't think there's any question, they, they, were, they, they won the league. City won, City, City were, were by far and away the better of, of, of the two teams. But Chelsea had that experience of, what, what was it, 2012? Um, remember, they also lost in the final in, in, in penalties. Was that 2008? Um, yeah. and, then, and then won against, against Bayern Munich in Munich in, in, in 2012 and just had that experience and, and got the better of City. And I think City are better for it. And I think that's what was happening with Newcastle. We, we hit the post, but then um, United had floated on the stock market, I believe it was 92, that gave them a war chest financially 
that, that put them head and shoulders above everybody else. And Newcastle wanted to do the same. And instead of using that experience, using that nearly miss, started to come apart to the seams. In, in trying to float on the stock market, the, the higher-ups began to undermine Kevin Keegan. And, and that told. Kevin Keegan, of, of, as everybody knows, eventually walked away before, before the end of the season, and, and rightly so. Um, so instead of building, nearly missed, building on, on, that, on that most bitter of, of pills, Newcastle tore everything, tore everything up and, and, and haven't been able to put it together, uh, put it back together in a way that will see Newcastle compete uh, at the highest level. And I feel that was, that was a, a moment missed, um, especially now as you look at, uh, as I mentioned, the history of, of how these things uh, progress. I think that's a really interesting point. When we've spoke to some of the other lads um, in the team from that time, whether it be Warren Barton, Keith Gillespie, Celez, they kind of pinpointed not the Liverpool game, but the Man United game and just how good Peter Schmeichel was that night. And that yeah. was the, the kind of turning point. But I think you're spot on in, in the hit in the post analogy. When that summer, you build on that by breaking the world record transfer fee for Alan Shearer. Mm-hmm. Everything seemed to be falling into place to make that big challenge again. Got off to a great start, thrashed him 5 0. And then obviously mm. Keegan leaves halfway through. Was there, did you notice a shift at the club, in the dressing room, around the place that not the wheels were starting to come off because we still finished second that season, but yeah. maybe the, the title challenge wasn't there anymore? Um, well, we finished second because Liverpool did exactly as we did a season before. Liverpool yeah. were running away with, 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 the, with the title in 96-97. And then when, when their wheels came off, so to speak, they ended up finishing third. Um, they, they should have won the league. We, we should have been third. Um, but of course, we, we knew what was happening behind the scenes. You, you, you hear the whispers and you just recognise that change in attitude, uh, change in demeanour, not, not, not attitude, change in demeanour uh, in Kevin Keegan. And you know, it, it, it tells. And for, for those who say what happens in boardrooms doesn't have an, an, an effect or, or impact on what happens on the park, doesn't, they, they don't understand football as, as, as a business. They may understand football as a product, but they don't understand football as a business. And, and, and I, think it, I think it told. As players, we still determined to, to, to be our best. We train every bit as hard as, as, as we had done. But with, with that in the back of your mind, I think inevitably it, it takes a tool, even if it's a, a subconscious one. Um, and, and that for me, that for me was the case. Um, you finished second one season. Uh, you, you finished second when you should have won. You finished second when, when you should have finished third. And then the next season, Newcastle are in a relegation battle. Um, that kind of speaks to that speaks to the tool um, uh, of what was happening because the dressing room hadn't hadn't changed. The dressing room uh, Les left. Um, I can't remember if Janola had left before then, but for, for the most part, the dressing room hadn't changed, and and yet we find ourselves plummeting. So the, the fall off was 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 was. Uh, um, was was pretty pretty catastrophic. Halfway through that season, as Sam mentions, Kevin just uh, decides to leave for his own reasons, and Sir Kenny Daglish comes in. What was your relationship like with Sir, Sir Kenny? And do you think that it's hard to say now, but do you think he would probably wanted to change things his own way 
when you look at the fact that Newcastle were flying high up to second and third, competing for Premier Leagues, and like you say, we're in a relegation battle by the time you left. Let, let, let me say, first of all, I absolutely love Sir Kenny Dalglish. I, I, I think the world of him. Um, but at, at the same time, when he came in, I knew that she gave me would arrive soon after. I, the writing was on the writing was on the wall. I I I, I knew that. Um, but in, in that in that third season, I, I got myself back in the team. I was playing well. Um, and, and I was actually keeping Shea out of the team for, for a bit. But I was going out of contract. Um, I, I turned down Newcastle's Newcastle's offer because I I I, I knew that, that Shea would be would be uh Kenny's Kenny's first choice. But he called me into his office and explained that. And 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 that if I wasn't prepared to, to commit my future to the club, he would bring Shea back in. Um, and as, as, as disappointing as that was to hear, as, as tough a conversation as that was to have, I appreciate the honesty of the man. And, and, that, and that's all I asked. I, I, I only asked that he was straight and honest with me. So, you know, I, I respected it then. Some what, 22 years later, I, I continue to, to respect it now. Because that that's that's all we ask of each other to to be honest. I, I understood his reasons for it. Um, it was my decision to make, and, and I made the decision that I thought was in my best interest. And I hold I hold no hard feelings. As a matter of fact, it, it goes the exact opposite. I I have the utmost and continue to have the utmost respect for for second Dalglish. That, that's what we were saying earlier. What you were saying earlier, Shaka, about. That go uh, that goalkeeper being number one, being given you are number mm-hmm. one, Connor, no matter what. So that's that seems to be what what Shea had. It was still pretty unknown at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there ever a time after you left that you were watching on and seeing us, you know, FA Cup finals and then under Sir Bobby in Europe, where you were thinking, oh, I wish I'd have just bided my time and stayed a little bit longer. No, I, 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 I made a decision and, and I stuck by it, you know, and, and um, I, I think once you start getting into revisiting some of those decisions, you, you go down, you go down a, a desperate rabbit hole, I, I, as it were. I made the decision at, at the time in 98 to, to let my contract expire, to, to look for another opportunity, which turned out to be West Ham. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. I, I really did enjoy my time playing playing for Harry and, and, and everything about, about my time at West Ham. So I, I looked on with interest, um, but not, not envy. You, you obviously had that privilege of playing at St. James's Park, Shaka, uh, for three seasons. Was there a particular game or a particular moment that stood out while you were in, in goal in front of that fanatical Newcastle support? Um, I'm trying to remember the game um, in particular. I don't know why I think it was Leeds at St James's Park, but it was the first time. It was the first time um, me playing at, at St James's Park, playing a home game, and we went behind. And the response from the crowd is the loudest I've ever heard at St James's Park. Is the loudest I've, I've ever heard of, of a football crowd um, then or, or or since, as far as I I, I, I can remember. And that struck me, that the response that Newcastle fans were at their best when they were needed, um, and 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 that for me is, is, is something that I think spoke to certainly the fan base at the time, uh, and what what we as a team represented um, to, to to those fans. 
I just want to briefly touch on um, Harry Redknapp because obviously two spells at West Ham and again big big character Harry Redknapp. Um, mm-hmm. Is he kind of similar to Kevin Keegan in a way in in terms of that personality trait or was their management style completely different? Well, they, they were different, but you know, as, as you mentioned, um, two incredible man managers, and I think that's that's where their strengths were. They were incredible man managers who could get the best out out of those players. Um, Keegan worked with some of the best players in the world, some of the most sought out, some of the most sought after players in the world. Whereas Harry kind of branded himself on on taking players who who were rejected by other clubs or um, and, and or, or had reputations and and getting the best out of them. Paolo Di Canio is a perfect example. You know, after after everything that he had endured at Sheffield Wednesday. Harry turns Paolo into an absolute world, be- world beater. Um, that that sums up that sums up Harry and, and maybe the difference between them. Similar, but but different at, at, at the same time. I think uh, Harry Redknapp had a, I think he turned Daniel with Chile manager in Newcastle. I think yeah. I think it might have been under Mike Ashley. I think very very early on. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually Kevin that actually took over. So that would yeah. have been. Fascinating to see Harry Redknapp as Newcastle United manager. I think I think he probably would have probably would have got the good Modric in. <laughs> but um, going back a little bit, uh, Shaka, you're probably wearing the show races in the red card T-shirt, and there was a story that you uh, told. I think it must it would have been on ESPN. I would have thought. Um, I think it might have been in an article as well. But I think that ESPN had on their website in regards to a situation when you were at Newcastle where. Mm. There was these kids where they were racially abusing you, but then when they realised who you were and what you actually did for a living and actually playing for Newcastle United, they were like, oh my God, could I have your autograph? Mm. Um, how fondly now do you look at this, the work that you've done for show races in the red card? And also we'll talk about the freedom of Newcastle a little bit later on, but just the actual journey that has gone on from the mid-90s to now. Yeah, I, I look back on, on everything about show race and red card with a, a sense of, of paternal pride. And, and listen, I, I, I say this now, um, when we started, I, I had no idea we'd be talking about a campaign that would grow to be what it is today. You know, the UK's largest anti-racism education charity. I had no idea we'd be talking about in excess of 850,000 kids have um, going to, to, to one of our workshops. It was simply an opportunity for me to give back to a community. A community that supported me on on, on a Saturday, um, and the incident that, that that you mentioned kind of spoke to spoke to um, the duality of who I was, you know, and and uh, uh, what what I represented, you know, as as I say, um, uh, that that so many black people in the Northeast endured then and, and continue to endure today. That without people knowing anything about them, knowing their backstories or, or what they represent. They, they are vilified and, and dehumanized. Um, I was fortunate in that the kids then recognized me and, and their response was different. But every single black person, regardless of who they are, where they are, deserves that dignity, deserves a, a dignity of being recognized as, as, as human, as being, as being equal. Um, so when, when we started, um, when, when Jed Grabby, the, the founder and CEO, um, spoke to me about going out in, into schools and speaking about that experience and speaking about, about racism in sport and, and what a dressing room teaches, the lessons that a dressing room gives. I'm, I'm sitting in a Newcastle dressing room 
I am five feet away from Korea, from, from Colombia, players from Timurikats, Bayer from Georgia, Philippe Albert from Belgium, players from up and down the, the United Kingdom. Um, we go out onto the field on a Saturday. When we win, we all go out and celebrate together. When we lose, we all, we all work on the training ground on a Monday to, to, to put things right. Regardless of where you're from, regardless of what your first language, what your ethnicity is or, or your religion. And, and I think that's a very powerful lesson. Um, and we, we started then, John Beresford was, was the first player to, to join me on, on our first, first talk at Gosford College. This, this was just a way for us to get back to our community. Not, uh, that, that, that's all it was. Speak to who we are and the lessons that we as young men learned in, in sharing that, that very diverse, diverse dressing room. So to, to see where it's come, um, I, as I say, I, I can only describe it as, as, as a sense of, of paternal pride. Um, and, and I think it also speaks to the power of, of um, speaking up, of representing your truth and, and being comfortable in, being comfortable in, in representing each other. Um, that ultimately uh, is empowering and, and is why the, the campaign continues to, to do as, as, as it does today. Where do you think we're at, Shaka, now, um, with with the, with the with the racism issue, not just mm-hmm. in football but as as a wider society? Because I don't know. Sometimes when it just seems like we're getting somewhere, then there's an incident that rears its ugly head somewhere, whether it be in yeah. the Premier League or, or around Europe. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of guy, so I, I always focus on the progress. You know, back back then, back in in '96, I'm fairly comfortable in, in seeing that. I think Newcastle, as a club, were were the only ones where players were actively going out into the communities and speaking on these on these issues. But you contrast that with today, where that is is part of of, of a football. So I, 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 that is a part of every black player's identity and so many and the majority of, of white players continue to to add their voices to it that is is in total contrast to, to how things were um 20, 26 years ago um but at the same time i i also understand the 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 concern expressed especially concern expressed over the last two years and, and a lot of the incidents that that, that we witnessed racism has been hundreds of years and I think it'll be hundreds of years in the dismantling. That doesn't mean that we don't we don't contribute to that. Because we may never live in a post-racial society does not mean, um, as a matter of fact, I'll go the exact opposite. It, it means even more that we have to do our best today in working towards that, that post-racial society. We have to hand off that, the baton to to the next generation with, with what we've learned, what we understood about each other and trust them to, to use the tools of the day in, in continuing the work that we, we commit to. Um, that's where we are. Uh, I also think for, for all the progress that we made, the biggest, the biggest hurdle to it is complacency. Uh, and so we cannot be complacent about the little progress that we have made because what, what you see and what you speak about is once you do, you 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 see exactly how quickly we 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 as a people regress. 
hundred percent, and we truly echo those uh, sentiments that you've just said. So I perfectly put uh, again. I hope I hope we get that one day where it just it's just vanished. It's just mm. gone, and hopefully that does, does happen in our lifetime for sure. And um, going back onto the football side of things, Newcastle United were in a real dogfight in terms of the relegation battle, but now they do seem a little bit more comfortable, even though. That defeat yesterday at Stamford Bridge uh, late on to Kai Havertz, uh, whether he shouldn't mm. be on the pitch or not. I'm sure we'll get your opinion on that in a second, Shaka. But just the job on Eddie Howe, what a transformation. I know he's had money to spend, but he spent the money wisely. And now he's got mm. Newcastle in a very, I was going to say, strong position, but strong enough that you would like to think Newcastle are barely there in terms of the relegation battle and making sure they're going to be a Premier League side once again. Yeah, I, I think Newcastle will survive. And, and um, credit to Eddie Howe, who I played with at Pompey. Um, and, and actually got oh, yeah. injured. I think it was, I think it was the first season, that first season in, in when I joined Pompey in, in, in 2002, got injured, uh, had to retire a year or two later, and, and that launched him onto, onto his own coaching journey. Um, and, and I think he's, he's due the credit because of the criticism. Um, Newcastle weren't playing well. I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm being at all controversial in saying that they weren't playing well at all when he arrived, and and then kind of Eddie's own history with, with, with Bournemouth uh, and usual thinking of get out of a relegation battle, you needed Sam Allardyce or Sam Allardyce type. And you need Sam Allardyce type football, which is not in keeping with, with the DNA of Newcastle and certainly what the fans hope to see. Um, but Eddie did an, did an incredible job, uh, a, a, a tough job in January, because remember, He's trying to sell this to players, a team that are rooted to the bottom of the table and will bookies at the very least short favorites to, 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 to go down. How do you say to good players, come and join us and, and we stay up um, and have them commit to, to long-term contracts? So it, it becomes doubly hard on Eddie, but he, he somehow got the right players in and has, has got this team playing, playing football. Um, as you see, I couldn't beat Chelsea. And, and the, yes, there's controversy around the, the, the Havertz elbow. Um, there, there's con controversy around the, the Chalabog uh, penalty. Havertz goal in the, in the 80, was it ninth minute? 88th, 89th minute yeah. was Chelsea's third shot on target at Stamford Bridge. That in, in itself speaks, speaks volumes to, to to how well Newcastle played, uh, and yes, you don't, you don't you come away with not a whole lot to show for it. But I, I think you you come away with, with a, a self belief around around who you are now and the football that you play and and how you can compete with with, with the club's big with the club's biggest with the, with the league's biggest. And and um, to to your question, I I think Eddie deserves an incredible amount of credit, more so than just as I say, kind of typical keeping a team up when, when things are, are looking are looking desperate. Absolutely. I mean, you're in the States, Shaka, but, you know, fantastic artwork behind you there. So you must have been keep, <laughs> yeah, there's, keeping there's tabs on... Uh, <laughs> you must have been keeping tabs on Newcastle throughout the, throughout the years, um, obviously mm -hmm. covering with the SPN and whatnot, but were you sharing our frustrations with the Mike Ashley era and just how pleased were you when uh, the takeover did finally go through i i was and and listen i my big criticism or um 
about Newcastle and its ownership. And, and again, kind of leans into what happened back in, in 96, 97 with, with Kevin Keegan. Given the global nature of the league and of so many, so many of, of, of the league's big clubs, people come in now taking over, uh, taking over clubs with this kind of global ambition that we're going to turn this into this global brand that people from China and the Far East and the US can, can get behind and support. And I feel they take their eye off what should be the club's focus, that five miles right around St. James's Park and what that fan base means. And, um, and as a result, they never get the, the um, character or the culture of the club. Absolutely, they don't get it right. And, and, and that's what I, I think was, was Mike Ashley's main feeling in, in not respecting the traditional fan base, that five mile radius around St. James's Park, as I, as, as I mentioned. So my, my hope now with the new ownership is that they recognize that primarily. What comes of it in, 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 in 25 years time and where Newcastle stands in terms of the league and being a global brand, who knows? But I, I hope at no point in that 25 years, the current ownership um, begins to take that the, the, the fan base for granted. I think that's a really important point because you can talk about potential success in terms of silverware and you know seeing the best players come to St. James's Park. But let's just make sure you get your house in order in terms of that five mile, 10 mile radius around Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel that the new owners, in particular, Amanda Stavely, Mia Dagutusi, who we see a lot more of in terms of uh, Newcastle's current ownership, do you think that they've got that in their mindset? Because it certainly looks like they're engaging with the fans a lot more and they, mm -hmm. they want to make sure that they do things appropriately, shall we say? Yeah, uh, early signs uh, are, are encouraging, but they're early signs, you know. And, but, uh, uh, you know, so I, I say that with some, with just some caution. But everything they've done and said so far um, about the club, about how they represent the club, even in their message to the fans are around wearing traditional Middle Eastern um, wear. And, and um, I, I thought that was very well put, very well addressed and, and, um, and, and very encouraging. So I, my, my, my early impressions are, are positive are encouraging, but we're only a few months in, into, into that ownership. It, it seems that Dan Ashworth is going to be appointed, let's just say technical director. I don't think anybody knows exactly mm. what his new title is going to be. Is that a real coup for Newcastle, Shaka? Because a lot of big clubs were sniffing, I've been rumoured to be sniffing around and he did a great job at England and West Brom and he certainly well thought of at Brighton and he's, he's, he's on gardening leave at the minute but what do you think he could bring to Newcastle do you think he can take the, the club from this level to another level I, I, I'll be honest I, I don't know Dan, Dan Ashworth at all so I, I really cannot speak to, to that other than in, in, in general terms and, and in, in hopeful terms so we, we we'll see but um, again everything the club has done so far has been encouraging has been a step in the right direction I, I don't see why this won't prove to be exactly the same. I don't see why Dan Ashworth coming in won't, won't be exactly as, as everyone has so far. I have to ask you about your opinion about Newcastle's goalkeepers. Martin Dubravka, obviously Newcastle United's number one. I'm sure you would have seen him play 
the last few seasons mm-hmm. for Newcastle while covering the Premier League. Um, what do you make of him in terms of when you look at the best goalkeepers? I think a lot of people look at Edward, Mendy, Edison, Allison. He is a different goalkeeper, Martin Dubravka. I think he's mm-hmm. getting better with his feet, and I think that is more important with being a goalkeeper, which it probably wasn't yeah. back, back in the in the mid nineties, for example. But do you think that he can be at Newcastle for the next couple of uh, next couple of years, or do you feel that maybe he's probably going to be replaced in the near future? Um, I of what Dabravka does, but at times I I, 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 he does kind of scare me a little bit, you know. And and um, I'm I'm trying to find the, the right words to, to to the right way to put this. At, at times he can be brilliant, but as the old cliche goes, just at, at times you feel that he has he has an error in him, um, and, and that's a concern for me. But then, but then to keepers when teams aren't playing well, when you're not sure of your defence. I, I think he can only be fully judged, or, or certainly his long-term future at Newcastle can only be fully judged when this team is playing better, when, and, and, as, they, as they have been now, and, and how, how he feels and his presence between the sticks. And, and that's something that a lot of goalkeepers, ex-goalkeepers speak about. Um, it's, it's a little bit of an undescribable, and, and stats, don't, stats don't help. But speak about a presence, you know, and, and it's something you, you, as I say, you you, you recognize as a former goalkeeper. Um, and I think that presence is growing uh, where in, in a way that it, it, we hadn't seen it previously. But then the team wasn't playing well. And, and, and that does that to you. So we, we'll see. I, I think between now and the end of the season, um, as long as the team continues playing well, you get a better feel for exactly how good Dubravka can be and whether he is the long-term solution for Eddie As a goalkeeper, just how much does a solid centre-back, whether it be a pairing or uh, a new voice in the back line, how much does a real solid back line in front of you make a difference? Absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. You're a part of that. You're a part of that team. Um, you you have to have an understanding about them and, and they have to have an understanding about you, about which crosses you're going to come for or not, about which is your preferred kicking foot, about a lot of decisions that you make. And I think only when you have that understanding with, with, with your back line, can you be at your best and will you defend at your best as, as, as a unit? So chopping and chilling, which is why whenever you know, a defender, regardless of whether we're talking centre-backs, well, centre-backs in particular, but even when you're talking about a right-back or left-back kind of coming in and out, it takes an adjustment. It be because it, it really is a unit and has to be addressed uh, addressed as such. Yeah, I think it's Newcastle has certainly done that with the likes of Dan Byrne, Kieran Trippier and Matt Target. Were you surprised yeah. that they were managed to get the players, the, the calibre of maybe a Kieran Trippier so early on, Shaka? I, I, I was. And, I mean, I, at the time, um, I thought, yeah, Trippier coming in on a right bag, is that really what... Newcastle need right now, and, and it, it, it didn't seem right. But then when you put it in, in, the, in the greater context of, of the full transfer window, and, and seeing the team play now, the pieces fit. Uh, and, and, and Trippier, what, what, he's, what he's added from set pieces, I, I, again, simply, simply invaluable in a way that I didn't anticipate. And, and, and I hold my hands up in, in that regard wholeheartedly. I didn't see Trippier being 
as good or as important to Newcastle as as he's proven proven to be. Uh, proven to be. Uh, and also, you need a big signing like that just to convince others that yeah, if you can convince Kieran Trippier, given everything that he's done both in England and Spain um, and, and with England, um, to come in, then yeah, I I I, 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 take, I don't think you sign. I don't think you sign. You don't sign Kieran Trippier, and and um, and and especially this week, you, you see exactly how, how important players like uh, Bruno Guimaraes has, has been to to Newcastle. He just looks pure silk. Yes, mm. that Bruno. Oh my word! I mean, <laughs> I, I read it uh, in his first interview with like the uh, the official um, club channel online. He says, "Well, I don't, I don't really. I'm more about starting to build play. I don't really score." Well, for a player who doesn't really score, that was one <laughs> filthy back heel volley, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> it really was. It really was. Some player. Some player. I mean, if you, if, as a goalkeeper, if you're conceding something like that, how, how are you feeling? I, I, because <laughs> I, I can't imagine Fraser Forster would be overly chuffed. Yeah, no, no. no. As a keeper, it is what it is. Because you can't. You can't cater for that. You know, mm. if somebody's kicking a shot straight on, you could kind of... You kind of guess, okay, he's going to my right, he's going to my left, he's going to drill this, he's going to chip it. You know, so you have, you have something to work with. But something like that, there's nothing as a keeper you can do to anticipate. Um, the best you can hope for is, is that it hits you. And, and, um, and Fraser Forster, it, it didn't. No, it didn't. It definitely didn't. Uh, last couple of questions, Shaka. Um, you've been at ESPN Club. Seems like forever. <laughs> looking, at the, looking at the reasons, but how much do you enjoy your job at ESPN, and especially with the banter with a few of the other uh, the pundits as well? You seem to all get on fantastically well. Yeah, nah, it, it's great. I, I started at ESPN January first, two thousand eight was my was my official first date, and 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 I love it. And and you're right, we we have a good chemistry with with the group, and that that allows for for. Um, Healthy debate, shall we? Shall we call it robust debate? A lot of arguing without anybody anybody taking anything personally. So that's that that's that's good, and it keeps me it keeps me in touch with the, with the game on the highest level. And also, um, I, I I won't say you don't make a mistake when you when you're sitting in the studio, but even when you do, that's just part of the process. And you you kind of laugh it off, and you speak about it, uh, and you speak to it. So there's. There's no real pressure, you know. All I can do on there is just as I see it, and accept that um, I'm probably going to get it wrong more times than, than I get it right. Um, if I if I used to get it right more times than, than I got it wrong, I'd, I'd probably just be a professional gambler and and, um, and, and take <laughs> take that easy way out. So you accept that a lot of 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 what you say is just opinion. That a lot may not may not come to fruition. That you will have uh, a number of angry fans shouting at you for for one reason or another. But that's just a part of the job. And and as, as long as you accept that, as long as you accept some of some of those negatives, it's it's really a fun place to be and a, a fun job to be doing. Was it always a route you were interested in going down, or did no. you have visions of being a manager one day? I, I I had visions of moving my family back to Toronto and Tobago, and and my wife is also from Toronto and Tobago. We, when I retired from FC Dallas, we had put plans in place to to go back, 
And all of a sudden, I got this call from an, an ESPN producer, Steve Felici, who's still the, the, the producer for, for ESPN FC, asking if I'd come up and, and do a couple of shows. We were, we were waiting for the school term to finish before we, we moved our kids back home. So I had a couple of months not doing anything. So I'm sure I'll, I'll come up and, and, and do, do those shows with you, which I did. And then they called me a couple of weeks later and said they, they wanted to offer me a full-term contract. It was, it was that straightforward. I, I had no plans about, about, doing, about doing TV. I started doing my, my, my coaching badges more with an eye to, to, doing, uh, to, to doing goalkeeping coaching. Um, exactly what I was going to be doing back in Trantabigo, I wasn't quite sure then. Um, but we intended to, to move back home. And, and um, now all of a sudden, some 14 years later, here, here I am. I'm sure that was an interesting conversation with the missus at that time. But yeah, yeah. And just finally, Shaka, the freedom of the city of Newcastle. It, that, that's got to be probably the biggest honour you can ever have in your, in your career in terms of all the clubs that you played for and everything that you've done. There was show races in the red car we touched about and you fantastic work there. But to have the freedom of the city of Newcastle. Now, he had that year with your mum and dad when you were watching uh, how it all unfolded, if I can say that right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was. And, and it, it's strange how, how things happen. So I'd, I'd planned to, I haven't, I haven't seen my parents for a couple of years. I planned to go back to, to Trinidad in January. I tested positive for COVID. Then I've tried to go back in February. Um, there was an ice storm, so I had to cancel my flight. And then, and then finally got there, got there in March. Um, I, I knew that the vote was coming up. Um, Habib Rahman, the, the the current mayor of, of Newcastle, the, the first mayor of Colin in Newcastle's 800-year history, had told me that that he wanted the, the honour, um, that he was going to be proposing it to the council, um, and that he he would be pushing for it um, himself. And then, I, I, as it turned out, I'm, I'm back home with, with my mother and father while I'm, I'm watching the vote uh, happen live, and and um, it, it was it was fantastic to 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 be able to to share that with them and. Um, in, 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 in so many ways, you know, so you, you're thankful for, for some of those, for some of those small mercies. Um, and, and you're right. It's, it's, it's an honor that, um, I, I couldn't imagine. Um, it, it's also one that, uh, that, um, I, I never thought that I'd be in line to receive, but given everything that we discussed over the last two years in particular, given everything that Shuri Sandy Radcard has, has grown to be, I am I am honored um, I am honored to be to be receiving it, um, even though I, I, as I say while while I do I I, recognize, I I have to recognize and pay tribute to 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 so many people who who who've been along and and have been the win winning in 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 those sales. Uh, I mean. It, it it's so richly deserved, Shaka, and you know I can't Thank congratulate you, you enough. But have you asked the mayor like, what do you get with the freedom of the city? Is it a big key? I mean, like, are you allowed to, are you, are you allowed to break the law? What, what, I, what, what, I, what I, I, I was I was I was I was told that I can allow my cattle to graze on any city lands. That I <laughs> so now I have to go out and get some cattle. So if you see some some cattle grazing in the middle of St James's Park, just know that they're mine. I'm bringing my <laughs> cattle to graze. <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, there's a weird law in the UK that pregnant ladies are allowed to wee in policemen's hats, 
and now Shaka can <laughs> let his cattle graze wherever they wish to roam. I love that. I, love, uh, I, I should just ask um, Shaka because you you kind of briefly um, made reference to him before. Um, Tino Espria, have you got a little Tino story that you can possibly share with us? Because ev- everyone seems to have a, 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 a moment of Tino. Yeah, Tino. Tino is as as, as Tino is. Uh, um, probably the 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 one that won't get us all in all some kind in any kind of hot water is is Tino either being an hour late or an hour early whenever the clocks went back or forward. He never, for the duration of his time, figured out the clocks moving, and, and that was always a source of of, of laughter. And, and 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 bets. Even when even when players went the day before and, and tried to tell him, he would always get it wrong. Um, but that, that that's just Tino. <laughs> Love it. That's just Tino. Brilliant, fantastic stuff. Shaka, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure having you on the Green and Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been brilliant talking to you about all things Newcastle United, and of course, your racism, the red card as well. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Sam, where can everybody listen to this podcast? Every every podcast uh, app going. Search the Greenwood and Mullen Show on Newcastle Fans TV and leave a five-star review. From myself, Jonathan Greenwood, Sam Mulner, and the former Newcastle United legend, Shaka Hislop. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.